The readings of Scripture tonight come from Zechariah 3, uh, the first five verses, and then the book of Jude. Um, while you're turning, some people think it, I'm silly for thinking this way, but I actually do think probably the two most profound hymns we have that, that God didn't inspire uh, are the doxology and Jesus loves me. Um, there's something for the troubled soul that Jesus loves me. And I know it, not think it, not it's my opinion, know it, not because of anything in me, but because the Bible tells me so. Anyway, uh, that's a sermon for a different night. Uh, Zechariah chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, let's stand for the reading of Holy Scripture. Zechariah 3, beginning at verse 1. This is God's word. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken away your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. The book of Jude, beginning at verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called... Beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward, destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example 
by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet, in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But, when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feast. As they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their undeeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouthed boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith, And praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. So far the reading of God's holy word. We give thanks for it. You may be seated. And as we come to reflect upon this passage again tonight. Let's pray for God's help. Father God, we come again to reflect on this problem of false teachers in the church who leaned on their own wisdom, who declared that what they desired had to be from you. And we find ourselves rebuked by 
by how easily we think we must be right. And we don't lean on the wisdom of your word. We don't lean on the wisdom of our friends in the church. And so help us tonight to be enthused to come before you knowing that you speak in the Holy Bible and that you give good counsel through brothers and sisters who care for us in the church. Overcome the deficiencies of the preacher. They are significant. And bless the reading and the preaching of your word to bring forth fruit in our hearts, to love you more, to serve you better. We ask it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. The question, who do you think you are, rarely means that someone doesn't think you know your identity. Um, Rather, it, it very plainly implies that you have overstepped your rightful place concerning what you have done or said. It's a rebuke to those who don't mind our position and step beyond what is appropriate for our role or station. And as we've seen throughout in his epistle, Jude took continual aim at at heretics who had snuck into the church, this one to which he's writing, and, and begun to lead these Christians away from the truth of Jesus Christ. He, he lined up multiple critiques in this relatively short letter, one being that they, well, overstepped their place. They'd acted above their authority. And Jude needed to ask them, well, who do you think you are? And tonight we're focusing on verses 9 and 10 where Jude continued his attack, this time about them not minding their proper place under God's authority. So Jude 9 and 10 actually forms a profound call for our discipleship, summoning God's people to, to rejoice in God's wisdom for instructing our lives, regardless of of how well we understand from the outset why he has commanded what he has. We often want certain outcomes so badly that that we cannot imagine life if, if we cannot get our way. Our desires overwhelm our thinking so that we cannot imagine a content life Unless we get what we want. Unless we have the circumstances that we think would best satisfy us. And Jude's opponents show how embracing the notion that everything we want has to be good for us. And be acceptable to the Christian life. Is the pathway to ruin. So our main point is that God's people should enjoy and find comfort in the instruction of outside authority more than the impulses of our own desires. God's people should enjoy and find comfort in the instruction of outside authority more than the impulses of our own desires. We're going to think about this in three points. 
our example, our exhortation, and our encouragement. So first, let's think about our example. Now, the thing is, we have come to to one of this letter's really tricky spots, uh, where the archangel Michael contends with the devil about Moses' body. Uh, that's not exactly standard fare for the things we think about every day in our devotional life. Importantly, uh, although it's easy to get distracted when, when we are surprised by these kind of unexpected, um, extra over-the-top teachings in Scripture, well, Jude's exhortation is actually very clear. The circumstances are a bit jarring, But the exhortation is just that Michael provides a moral example of acting well according to God's authority. He listened to the Lord. That's the point. And so should we. So verse 10 has our main payoff in the contrast between Michael and the the heretics. So in contrast to, to Michael's good conduct... But these people, the false teachers, they blaspheme all that they don't understand. Michael has understood. They don't understand these things and they blaspheme them. And they're destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Following their impulses, right? Not thinking it through, not listening to the Lord, not taking counsel. They act on impulse and the clear message is that Christians should be more like Michael and less like the heretics, as we might expect. And so with that main point in place, well, what do do we make of this example of of Michael? It is tricky, but but I don't want to jump past it, because it's there for a reason. And, And although we could get to the practical matter, I think that it's worth our reflection. So let's... Let's think about verses 8 and 9 slowly and just establish what's happening in this, in this lead up. And so, so Jude wrote, yet in like manner, so just like these three examples of, of, of unbelievers in Israel, the fallen angels and Sodom and Gomorrah, like those examples, these people, these false teachers, also relying on their dreams, right, a claim that God has revealed their false teaching to them. Well, they defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But, so a a contrast, uh, there's a contrast with how the false teachers were appealing to invented divine revelation to get approval for their sin. Uh, But when... Indicating a time frame. The archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses. He did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. A blasphemous judgment would have come on his own authority, but he appeals to what the Lord said. And so if we read carefully... The, the kind of abrupt or, or jarring claim about Moses' body actually just provides us with the setting for the main claim. 
The account about Michael can, battling for, disputing for Moses' body certainly grabs our attention. Uh, the opening words, when, shows us this is simply the time frame in which this major event is occurring. And although Michael's situation is important, Jude's emphasis is on how he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but relied on what the Lord said. And so Jude faced a problem where, where false teachers claimed that their desires came with God's direct approval. Whatever they wanted, well, God must have endorsed it. Their own dreams supposedly revealed God's will. And in, in contrast to these teachers who, who did theological acrobatics to get what they wanted... Michael just leaned on what the Lord had said. Here's the message from God. Michael is our example because he relied on the Lord's word. And that brings us to our second point, our exhortation. So Michael's example in the event itself Gives us rich material for devotional reflection as as Jude pushes home the the contrast between working under God's authority and really inventing your own religion. The emphasis in, in Michael's retort is in how he said, the Lord rebuke you. Not me, not my friends. God addresses this situation. Now, I think what's striking, if there's ever a context where you would feel free to, to write off your opponent without further authorization, just kind of dismissing this as a, a credible time when, when I can just step in, it'd probably be if you were arguing with the devil, He's not really the guy who stands on much ground, as if you have to take account of what he says. We don't really feel the need to find further additional reasons to rebuke Satan. And still, Jude said that even when arguing with the devil himself, Michael would have been blasphemous if he had depended upon his own. Authority. Now, Michael's response is, is actually a citation from Zechariah 3, verse 2. Zechariah wasn't written when Moses died, uh, and so Jude's point was, was not that Michael quoted that verse of Scripture at that moment. But Zechariah 3 records a legal dispute between the devil and the Lord, or an angel. Um, It seems the Lord speaking through an angel like he does in Jude. And there, the devil tried to accuse Joshua, the high priest, before God's courtroom. And as the defense attorney, the Lord's angel replied, not with his own verdict, 
but with God's. The Lord rebuke you. What can we learn from this? I think that even when we might feel most, most confident in our own judgment, we have to lean upon the Lord's wisdom. There's never a moment when we're beyond listening to God and getting good counsel. If it would ever seem right for an angel of all creatures to trust just their instincts, it should probably be when they're arguing with Satan. And yet Jude said, even when we might feel on most solid ground, we should trust God's word and the principles of Christian wisdom more than our own instincts and desires. Even if our own judgment seems to us to be beyond question, Jude says question it and run it through the filter of God's word and Christian wisdom. We should never be self-confident, but confident in the Lord's truth and mercy. I think we can make this application a little more practical, too. Because as in using Zechariah 3 and applying it for Michael at Moses' burial... Well, Jude was, was using a tradition of biblical interpretation. That, that there was a history of taking this case and applying Zechariah's legal dispute between an angel and Satan to, to a whole paradigm of, of actually repeated instances of angels disputing the devil. Whenever the devil would accuse the Lord's saints. In other words... Even as, even as Jude wrote under the Spirit's inspiration, another situation, in fact, where, where he might feel most assured in just going with the instincts, he, he still leaned upon the insight of other people interpreting God's word. So we have to see our need for for real humility and, and dependence upon layers of God's provision before we lean on our own instincts. We, we have a, a real propensity to excuse our desires until convinced that God approves of them. We indulge ourselves I think it's not that I'm selfish. It's, it's just that I want good things that God probably wants to give to me. It's not that I'm lustful. I just admire beautiful things that God has made. Gloss over our shortcomings. Assuming that whatever we want, for whatever reason, just has to be good and holy. Presuming that we could never be content 
if we listen to instruction that runs contrary to our most intense desires. We put ourselves on the Lord's throne. What if we started with the, the hard, stark reality that sin destroys our soul and wrestle with the fact that our old selves still like to assert themselves? What if we assumed more often that we, we can never come to a right conclusion without consulting other people? other believers, to help us understand how the wisdom of God's word applies to our situation? What if we more often questioned and interrogated our strongest desires, inclinations, and assumptions to see if they measure up to God's word as understood by the ongoing wisdom of good Bible interpreters? Jude summons us to discipleship by learning personal humility and confidence in God's help to guide us in outside authority. His word. The brothers and sisters around us in the church. We are often too easy on ourselves. Sometimes we're too hard on ourselves. That's a different sermon. Jude used outside wisdom to write scripture, which is an amazing thing. Jude used outside wisdom to write scripture even as the Spirit inspired him. We should note that the implication is that the Spirit inspires Jude to lean on other people's wisdom. So it's a good and biblical thing. When we get advice that runs hard against our strongest desires, our natural inclinations, we should question ourselves more than we question those who are giving us advice. The, point's not to, the point here isn't to give a, a, a blank check uh, to others to tell us what to do. That's not the point. The point is to learn that that sanctification looks like loving to get insight, pushback, and support from others more than finding ways to justify our personal desires. We are a danger to ourselves, and we should not coddle our impulses. In contrast, Proverbs 27.6, right? Faithful are even the wounds of a friend. Proverbs twelve fifteen. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man listens to advice. The devil would love us to listen to the deceitfulness of our own hearts. That results in our own ruin. Our exhortation. Is to act more like Michael. And more like Jude. And less like the false teachers. That brings us to our final point. Our encouragement. Our encouragement. So we we pull that 
the implications of Michael's dependence on the Lord's word for our own discipleship seen, we really do have to lean hard into wrestling with our own hearts. We ought to know that really at the end of the day we are not trustworthy people for ourselves, uh, not trustworthy to determine our own best course of action, and so ought to love living in the church community to get to get wisdom. What a blessing to get wisdom from God's word and wisdom from God's people. As Jude commends both explicitly and implicitly. I wonder, though, if, if in addition to this kind of hard probing of our hearts, if we might find some comfort in, as well as exhortation, if we reflect a bit more on this event here. So Michael's dispute with Satan was, was about Moses' body. And let's, so we should recall, right, at this point, that the, the account of Moses' death was in Deuteronomy 34 as, as Israel enters the promised land, now, now being under Joshua's leadership. And, and in that context, Moses can't enter the, doesn't get to enter the promised land because of his sin. And in an act of mercy, though, God takes Moses to the top of a mountain and lets him see the promised land. Deuteronomy 34, 5 and 6 says, So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And think about this. And he, the Lord, and the Lord buried him in the valley, in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. How amazing that, that God himself buried Moses. How amazing, especially given the context. Remember that Jude is telling us that right here around this burial, the angel's dispute with Satan was legal, making Michael and the devil the two Attorneys arguing for the just outcome for Moses' body. And their dispute was likely about Moses' final resting place. Likely the devil arguing that, that Moses deserved no such thing as a final resting place. No such thing as God himself burying him because Moses was a sinner. Satan likely dragged out all Moses' sin so that he could have Moses' body, likely wanting to give it back to the people of Israel, knowing that their tendency towards idolatry would lead them to using it sacrilegiously like an object of worship. Now, I I don't want to get stuck in the details of of how we know Satan accused Moses of, of all this sin or 
or how we know that he wanted to use Moses' body to tempt God's people to idolatry. I do want to highlight the main point that God takes good care of his people. More specifically, God takes such good care of his people that we are cared for even after we die. Think about that. God protected Moses' body. And God protected Moses on two fronts. God protected Moses by rendering verdict against Moses' accuser. And this is just the gospel good news, isn't it? The, the Lord delivered a rebuke to Satan for trying to use Moses' sin against him to deny him a proper burial. God ensured, because of the work of Jesus Christ giving him full righteousness, that Moses was laid to rest, having a proper burial, no sin held against him, rather than being left to rot atop some mountain. God put Moses to rest so that it would be more than clear that he had forgiven Moses' sin. But God also protected Moses from having his body be turned into an idol. Moses, as God's foremost servant of the time, would have hated to have his body turned into some religious relic that would lead God's people into superstition rather than fruitful trust in the Lord. And God was so kind to Moses in sparing him from having his remains turned into some cause for godlessness. What an amazing comfort for us too. Our lives are so fragile, aren't they? No matter how old or young we are, we're never guaranteed another day. But whenever and for whatever reason we die, Jude provides good reason why as you come to the end of your pilgrimage in this age, Believer, you have no reason to worry. Your God will care for you, even in death. God buried Moses to care even for his body. Your whole person, body and soul, even as we die, is in God's hands. Listen to Westminster Shorter Catechism 37. What benefits do believers receive from Christ at death? The souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory. here's, Here's where... We probably run quickly past this, but need to think about it tonight. 
and their bodies being still united to Christ do rest in their graves till the resurrection. Not just your soul, but your body remains united to Christ. And as Christ receives your soul into heaven, he gives your body rest in your grave until he restores it to you in perfect perfection at the resurrection. Christian, God cares for you, body and soul, in this life and the next. And we see that he uses his most powerful servants, the angels, to accomplish that too. He sent Michael, the archangel, the head angel, to handle this issue, to take up Moses' case. It's not just that God generally controls all things as the omnipresent Lord. He also sends his angels to work on behalf of his people so that he has a servant accomplishing his will right next to us as we go through trials. I'm not convinced uh, that each one of us has one angel assigned to us at all times. I am convinced that God uses legions of angels to work for the good of his people at all times. We're not limited to one as God uses the host's of heaven to defend us, perhaps even after our bodies rest in their graves. Michael the archangel then gives us our great encouragement as we see not only a model of submission to God, but also an instance of how God remains constantly committed to doing good for his people. We ought to remember why God rebuked Satan as he tried to accuse Moses of sin at his death. God rebuked the devil because Christ died for Moses to cleanse him of all that sin. God laid Moses to rest in peace because Jesus lived, died, and rose to make Moses right. With his maker. And because Jesus Christ is the only redeemer of God's elect, even before Christ performed his work in history, God protected Christ's people who received all of his benefits in advance by faith. And as richly, as richly as God acted on Moses' behalf to forgive, to protect him as a forgiven sinner, so God will act just as forth forcefully to protect all who believe in Jesus. And so, our comfort in life and in death is that I am not my own, but I belong body and soul 
to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful that every point, that at every point of our existence, from conception when you implant a soul into even our fledgling body, into everlasting life, you protect your people. And we are grateful that you protect your people not only by keeping us in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ by looking after our soul, looking after our body, but also giving us your word and giving us your people to speak wisdom into our lives so that we are not protected only in death, but also in life as we traverse this pilgrim age and seek to live for you. And so we cry out to you, protect us from ourselves. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil and use your scripture, use our brothers and sisters to help us see wisdom, to guide us forward, that we would turn away from our instincts and unreasonable passions and turn to you, who has given your son to be the author and perfecter of our faith. And so we know that we are safe in your hands. We ask it all for the sake of the Lord Jesus. Amen.